Jimmy's Table. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. And today is episode 62, in which I'm going to help you stop thinking like an idiot and give you some lessons in critical thinking. And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, of course. I don't think you're an idiot. Well, maybe I do. (laughs) Anyway, no, no, no. I'm sure you're very, very smart. You're not an idiot at all, and neither am I. Or am I? I don't know. Let's 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 listen a little bit and uh, figure some things out, shall we? What is the most inspiring thing I ever said to you? Don't be an idiot. Changed my life. Whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. So, deep down inside... I kind of think we're all idiots, <laughs> at least to some degree. And some of you have more degrees than others in, in that, that area. Some of you might even qualify for a PhD, but I digress. However, I think uh, probably more often than we'd at least care to admit to ourselves, um, you know, we're kind of deep down inside, a little on the idiotic side. Many of us would probably, though, kind of resent that. Might even find it a little offensive. How dare he say I'm an idiot? He doesn't know me. I know who he is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, deep down inside, I think many of us kind of fancy ourselves somewhat clever. We may never go so far as to say we're the smartest person in the room, but I doubt any of us would venture forward to ever say and think that we're the dumbest person in the room. And, of course, there's always a dumbest person in the room. <laughs> Um, I think most of us would say that, uh, we're just a, just a hair above average, at least in our intelligence and knowledge on many different areas. Um, so we, we kind of have this way of thinking that we're, we tend to be smarter than most people. We won't put ourselves in the bottom of that ranking. Um, but we will say, you know, I'm at least a little above average in thinking. Um, but, uh, in truth, I think we all have to really realize and probably admit that we are dumber than we actually realize. And just because we might know a lot about one issue, or a couple issues, doesn't necessarily mean that we know a lot about many other issues. And there's a a great deal of issues in which we know nothing about. And to some degree, given enough time, given enough opportunity... We all kind of suffer from an idiot syndrome uh, that some social psychologists call the Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, The Dunning-Kruger effect is when someone's lack of knowledge in an area doesn't stop them from confidently acting like they are more knowledgeable than they in fact are. Um, Being an idiot isn't so much an issue of IQ. It's more of an issue of hubris, of pride, of our own arrogance. Our ego makes us blind to how little we really know, and as a result, we end up not knowing what we don't know. (laughs) And you get it. You've been on Facebook. You've been on Twitter. You go to the office. Uh, You've probably spent some time in academia. You've probably even ventured into the world of politics and kind of realized idiots are everywhere. (laughs) 
And, uh, you know, you might think that about others. And well, guess what? Somebody out there is uh, thinking it about you too. <laughs> um, you know, we, we regularly uh, overstep our bounds. We, we tend not to stay in our lane very well. Uh, we all sort of suffer from this, this confidence, uh, this false confidence that, you know, interestingly enough, the less we know, uh, sometimes the more we think we actually know because we, as I said, don't even know what we don't know. And so we think we know a couple talking points. We think we know a couple uh, perspectives on a particular topic. And therefore, we think that's all there is to know. And when you really get down into it, uh, there's so much more nuance and subtlety um, and things to know and uh, people who know them. So that kind of results in us opening up a lot of opportunities to stick our foot in our mouth. But often, more often than not, we just keep on talking anyway. <laughs> we like the taste of our shoe leather, don't we? Um, so I'm hoping in today's podcast uh, to kind of help get around this. Um, and talk about how we cannot be idiots. And I believe the way we cannot be idiots is learning to think more critically about the way we think. Um, because I've, I've, if one thing I've discovered over the years, a lot of people, uh, they think a lot of things, but they don't think much about actually how they go about thinking them. Um, and I believe in my heart of hearts that if we are to be less idiotic as people, um, a little less dumb, uh, a little less playing that crazy uncle at Thanksgiving or that guy at the bar or, you know, dare I say, the president of the United States. Um, you know, instead of uh, doubling down on things like we'd like to so often do um, when we're outside of our realm of expertise, I'm hoping today that in learning to think about thinking that we'll have a change of heart as well as a change of mind. Does that sound good to you? So if so, you know, I want to help you think. Uh, I, I want to get you beyond the realm of what Dwight Schrute said in the office at the beginning of the episode that uh, whenever I'm about to do something, I ask, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I would not do that thing, Dwight said. So, you know, that's clever. <laughs> not really. Um, it's funny though, right? Um, but so, you know, I, I think... There's more than to just don't act like an idiot. Don't, don't be an idiot uh, sort of thing. But instead, we need to actually experience a change in who we are um, so that we can maybe play the idiot a little bit less often than we do. I know me personally, especially for those of you know who, who, who know me and have known me for a long time, uh, you can probably give a hearty amen to this, but uh, there have been plenty of times in my life where I have definitely played the idiot and I fully expect going forward uh, for that to happen yet again. But I'm going to hope, hopefully today by going through some of these things, I'll not only help you think better about thinking and being less idiotic, but it also help me. Um, because as I was kind of researching these things and talking to people, uh, some of you folks on Facebook, uh, John, Narja, um, uh, uh, Jim, uh, you know, um, Josie, several of you. Uh, helped me kind of piece together some of this. And I felt like I definitely learned something um, in some of the comments you provided me on Facebook. So I hope to, you know, not only share what I know about knowing, um, and I know a lot, 
uh, but to, to share some of the perspectives that some of you helped uh, fuel uh, this list of things I've put together. So without much further ado, let's learn how to think more critically and less like an idiot. So first point, we need to be willing to live the comfort of the shadows um, of the cave that we're living in and instead step outside into the light uh, to see the reality of the world around us. If you don't know what that might be a reference to, I'm thinking here of uh, the philosopher, the Greek philosopher Plato, his allegory of the cave. Um, in his allegory of the cave, Plato told a story about these guys who were in shackles and they were captivated by the shadows uh, that flickered on the back wall of their cave as a result of the fire producing those shadows from them. Um, and they were captivated by them. They thought that that's all that there was to the world. Uh, and they were just absolutely mesmerized by the shadows that flickered from the light behind them. Well, one day somebody came along and offered them the opportunity uh, to be freed from their shackles. And instead of um, being entertained and constantly um, captivated by the shadows that flickered on the back of their cave wall... They had the opportunity to leave their cave, to leave where they were, and to go out into the real world um, where they would experience a place that wasn't just nothing but uh, a shadow land. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, Plato's point was so many people prefer the shadows to the light and life outside of the cave. Uh, if you have the opportunity, I listed in the show notes. Um, check out the link for jimmystable.com, show notes for episode 62, um, in which I reference to uh, a fuller version of uh, Plato's cave allegory. But at the end of the day, we must be willing to live, leave all the superficial stuff in this world, the things that so easily captivate us. Uh, we must be willing to leave the shadows for the light. And that's easier said than done because, you know, frankly... We love the shadows. What are some shadows you might commonly think of? You know, things that, that inform us, things that captivate us. Um, you know, I can't help but think of, of internet memes. You know what memes are, right? And those little images you see on Facebook or Twitter in which there's a picture and a caption and it says something funny or it says something clever. Uh, it says something insightful that really just tickles us in the right spot. Uh, memes. We, we love living in those memes. Um, and frankly, I think uh, those memes actually become the way uh, we learn to think. Um, and uh, they often leave us in a very shallow pool of thinking at the end of the day. But because they're uh, fortune cookie size in nature, because they're easily digestible, uh, we easily soak them up. We put them into our repertoire of arguments and our uh, way of thinking and processing the world in which we live. Uh, and the simpler, the better. The easier to communicate, uh, the better. And uh, we end up liking it far too much. And we often settle for superficial and simple answers of, of things that can be reduced to, well, Republicans say this, or progressives say that. And... This is a left perspective, and this is a right perspective, and this guy's right, and this guy's wrong. 
and we come up with these very simple, superficial understandings of the world that are no different than the shadows that bounce off the back of the cave wall. Um, and because they're easy to understand and they captivate our attention, they don't require much effort. Uh, and they offer us a little warmth and security at the end of the day, and, and they ultimately bring us some sort of comfort. We cling to these memes. We cling to these fortune cookie type sayings. We, we cling to the old wives' tales of backwards people. Um, instead of daring to leave the cave, to leave our shackles behind, to step outside into the light. That's where a lot of us are, folks. That's where I would venture to say most people every day, they've never bothered to investigate anything further than a meme. And they'll argue perspectives all day long uh, in person at Thanksgiving or in a bar or you know, on Facebook or Twitter or over coffee or whatever. Our worldview consists of purely what we've learned by memes. And uh, instead of really making an opportunity for us to, to dig deeper uh, and to go into the light of the things that should really uh, captivate us out in the real world instead of the shadows of the memes. Next point I'd like to make and about thinking more critically, uh, Socrates, uh, the father of modern philosophy, uh, Plato's friend, <laughs> or, or Socrates if you watch Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Um, Socrates, <laughs> or I'm sorry, Socrates, uh, once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Uh, most of us live a very just go with the flow sort of life. We never think, to question too many things. We might think to question something if it aggravates us enough, um, but if something doesn't really get under our uh, skin and something doesn't really aggravate us en enough um, and something doesn't bother us and something doesn't keep us up at night, we usually just kind of go with the flow with most things. I mean, because we realize we live in a world in which there's so many things to know and understand and see and observe and take in that we would be absolutely overwhelmed if we tried to learn it all. Um, but uh, that, that leaves us floating through life with all these unchecked biases and all these unchecked premises and, and, and things that shape the way we view the world in which we never even dare to question uh, the legitimacy of the things that we so closely and deeply believe. Um, but I think this is a mistake. If we're going to be a people who live a life that examines life, a life truly worth living, um, then I believe we need to have the attitude of uh, uh, a quote I, I have from Thomas Jefferson who once said, uh, and I say this as somebody who's a deep, devout Christian. Um, so Thomas Jefferson, who wasn't a Christian, <laughs> uh, once said, Question with boldness the existence of God. For if there is a God, he must more approve of homage of reason than blind, folded fear. You know, I think it's a powerful quote. You know, even as a Christian, let me encourage you, if, if wherever you are on your spiritual journey, religious faith walk, or whatever you want to call it, um, maybe you're a devout atheist, for all I know, if you're listening to this podcast, um, which if you are, email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com, um, and let me know what you think about stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, we should boldly question things. We shouldn't just leave things unchallenged, unassumed, unexamined. Uh, we should, in a quest for the truth, as people who love 
truth. And I believe we would all say we probably love truth, the truth simply being reality as it in fact is. Um, if you can believe in such a thing. Um, maybe if you're a little more postmodernist, you don't really believe that, but I digress. Um, but, uh, you know, we should question with boldness, even the very existence of God. Something that, you know, as a Christian, I personally almost take for granted, um, because I've been doing this thing with Jesus for so long now, um, that, uh, you know, sitting there and questioning the existence of God isn't something that really enters into my mind too often. However, I have at times in my faith, especially early on in my faith, when I was kind of going through a little intellectual crisis, and I was like, well, how do I know that God exists? You know, how do I know Jesus is who Jesus says he is? You know, how do I know these things? Uh, and for what such, if you wish to, uh, there's a podcast I reference in the show notes um, about uh, defending your faith, how to defend your Christian faith, episode six. Check it out sometime, jimmystable.com. Um, but, uh, you know, we should be able to wrestle through these hard things and we shouldn't be afraid to do so because if the truth is out there, uh, if I can get a little Lex files on you, if the truth is out there and is knowable uh, and we believe we can know it, then we should be willing to boldly question it. Now that might cause some heartache, um, and that might cause some pain that might require some heavy lifting uh, that, again, might point back to point one with uh, going outside your comfort zone. Um, you might go into some uncharted waters in which you're like, I don't know. I don't know what the truth is here, but I'm willing to find it out. Question everything that you can. Because, frankly, you know, this life, I don't know that it's... Uh, I think I agree with, with uh, Socrates that the unexamined life is not worth living. If you think staring at the shadows at the back of the cave is an existence, when there's a whole wide world out there, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. You might, be, you might be okay with that. I know I personally am not. And I think if we learn to start thinking that way, maybe, just maybe, we'll move on from thinking like an idiot. So point three. We need to position ourselves to be listeners with inquisitive minds. The Apostle James in James 1.19 said in the Bible, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Well, you know, that's just totally countercultural to anything we hold in view dear <laughs> in our society, something that we don't practice a million times on Facebook and Twitter every single day. We, we prefer to go ahead and get angry uh, speak, and then maybe listen. Maybe. But James says, you know, we should be the opposite. We should be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And the only reason we can be, or the only way that we can be quick to listen, um, is to make ourselves inquisitive, to make ourselves as individuals who want to genuinely understand, not just Listen to somebody so you can go ahead and rattle off the point that you're thinking in your brain as they talk. Not that you've ever done that, right? I haven't done that, have you? <laughs> you know, um, but instead we need to be people who look for the opportunity to genuinely know and understand somebody else's perspective and point of view. Um, and that takes time. That takes time. That takes the the mindset that you want to actually 
hear them, not just listen to the sounds coming out of their voice or reading whatever it is they quickly wrote, but to be somebody who genuinely listens and to listen for understanding. That takes humility, folks. That takes humility and that takes, you know, this insatiable thirst that must ultimately exist in you. Um, you got to stay humble and you got to stay thirsty. You got to really believe that the person you're talking to, interacting with, or the book you're reading, the article you're reading, or somebody you're dialoguing with on Facebook, if you really want to become a listener, you got to believe genuinely in your heart that everybody out there has a perspective worth sharing. And that creates an opportunity for you to truly learn. Unfortunately, we don't live there. And many of us kind of are know-it-alls. Many of us feel we kind of have arrived at the end of the day, haven't we, folks? We think we know everything there is to know on a particular topic. Um, and as a result, it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. Those who believe they have arrived, somebody once said, will never go another inch further. I like that. I wish I could find the person who said that, but it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believed you have arrived, you indeed you have, because if you have, you will never go one inch further. So stay humble, stay thirsty, always be willing to listen and to learn. Realize you don't know it all. Next point. Now this is the fun one. This is really fun. I really, really, really like this point. Um, and I get some of the inspiration from it. Uh, not only from my own journey, but some things my wife has told me. My wife is a librarian, for those of you who don't know. Um, and my wife said when she was in grad school for becoming a librarian, that her professor recommended that every library collection you have should be made up of at least 13% of books that you find offensive in some manner. And that offensive aspect of the book can be, you know, a wide variety of different things. It can be something that you find intellectually dull. It could be stylistically boring. Um, it could be morally repugnant. Uh, and it could be a whole host of other things. But if you're to be well-read, and if you're to truly cherish learning, if you're to truly uh, expose yourself to as much as you can to give yourself an opportunity to truly hear, don't just make your library, your personal library at home, a collection of books that of people that you only read, uh, that you like. <laughs> you know, and I get this impression sometimes, I, especially when I read some theological stuff. Uh, like if I read some stuff by some reformed people, for example, I'm going to tend to find that most of the people that they quote, you know, sound like John Piper or sound... Uh, like John Calvin or a bunch of other guys named John. <laughs> um, you know, R.C. Sproul, the, the Jonathan Edwards, those guys. Um, you know, so the same goes though with like Catholic theologians. You'll find out most Catholic theologians primarily quote other Catholic theologians. And uh, you find that in pretty much all sorts of intellectual circles. There's kind of an intellectual incest if you might be so bold as to say, or if I might be so bold. 
Uh, there's kind of an intellectual incest in which we only interact with the people that we think we're probably already going to agree with. And why do we need to do that? Well, it goes back to my first point. It makes us comfortable. Um, if you really want to be daring in your, your, your reading and your studying and your learning and, and learning better to think about this world, let me tell you something. Instead of burning books by certain people, as we've been prone to do throughout the history of the world, instead of burning books by people, uh, we need to engage ourselves and read the heretical writings. So read somebody you know you're probably going to disagree with from the first page and all the way to the last. Expose yourself to as much as you can, not only of the people you agree with, but all the varying perspectives out there on a particular topic of something that interests you, of something that you think is absolutely absurd. Um, because if anything, I've learned over the years that by reading the heretics, so to say, I've actually learned more about my own perspectives because the heretics challenge me to think about the things that I already believe and whether I truly already believe them um, because I've done the homework. Um, and over the years, I've found when it comes to, uh, you know, believing the things I do about God, about Jesus, about the Bible and, you know, a whole host of other things, it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a theological stuff. It could be financial stuff. Um, you know, it could be economic stuff. It could be political stuff. Uh, it could be, um, bank related stuff that I, uh, you know, follow at work. <laughs> um, you know, read the heretics cause they'll, they'll at least cause you to reflect upon whether what you believe as orthodox is, is really already true or not. Um, and they'll, uh, shine a flashlight into some, some areas that, you know, of, of your mind and of your thinking that are probably been neglected by you, things you really didn't do your due diligence on that you really needed to, um, or they'll uh, help you at least dust off the cobwebs every now and then. Because frankly, our thinking can get a little rusty. Our thinking can get a little dull and just, you know, all full of all sorts of junk in there and cluttered and not very good. So if you want to learn not to be an idiot, read The Heretics. Make some space on your bookshelf for the books that you loathe. Read as many sources you can broadly. Um, you know, listen to as many news sources as you can. Don't just stick to CNN. Don't just stick to Fox News. Don't just stick to the New York Times. Don't just stick to the Washington Post or what have you. Um, read broadly. Don't be afraid to dive into places that you'd probably rather stay away from. <laughs> Next point, point number five. Learn to understand both sides of an argument. Always willing, be willing to play the devil's advocate. Um, I believe it was St. Augustine. And I could be wrong in this, and I remember reading this so many years ago, it was like, it's almost 20 years ago since I read it. I want to say it was in St. Augustine's uh, Against the Manichaeans or something. I, I forget exactly uh, where it was. But so don't hold me to that it being necessarily St. Augustine. I couldn't find the quote. I looked for it on the internet before the show, but I couldn't find it. Ah, anyway, forgive me. Um, but anyway, I believe it was St. Augustine who once said something to the effect that we should seek to understand someone else's position as well as they understand it. 
And if we're going to argue with somebody over something, we should be able, he said, to argue their position just as well and effectively as they do and to do so honestly. Um, And I believe if you have that mindset, being willing to play devil's advocate, being willing to understand someone else's position as fully as they understand it and arguing it just as well as they could argue it. Um, If we were to do that, instead of simply understand everything in superficial extremes as something that's simply black or white, Republican or or Democrat, conservative or liberal, um, evangelical or progressive or what have you, um, I believe if we were to operate with that mindset, we would be able to better appreciate the strengths and weaknesses, not only of our understanding of things, but also of the people that we actually disagree with. I think we'll find that there's beauty in even the worst <laughs> of uh, almost all perspectives. Maybe not all. Maybe not all of them. Like, I'm not saying, you know, Hitler had something beautiful going there. Nothing like that. Um, but generally speaking, I think if we were to sit there and truly try to understand both sides of an argument, or maybe realize there's more than one side, maybe there's three sides or four sides, uh, five sides, uh, maybe we can get into all sorts of other sides that would require a math class for me to identify all the types of uh, geometric symbols. <laughs> um, but if there's more than one side of something, let's understand it, and let's understand all of it to the best of our ability. Um, because I think life is too short for just one way sort of thinking. And I believe the ability to empathize with somebody else's perspective and worldview um, can help better inform ours. Um, And maybe we'll realize in understanding somebody else's perspective that, hey, you know, maybe my argument isn't so sound. Maybe things are a little weak here. And maybe there are some areas that, you know, I might just even have to concede um, and gosh, God forbid, I might actually have to change my perspectives because of what they have said is so amazing. Um, so we need to be willing to see all sides of the argument, play devil's advocate, look at all the evidence, get as many facts as we can, um, understand how people interpret those facts, that data, um, and see if maybe we can't see the world through somebody else's eyes. You've heard about, you know, walking a mile in somebody else's shoes. Well, let's see the world through somebody else's eyes. Um, And I think that in doing so, we'll have better vision for it. Next, point six. We must think as much as possible logically about things. I know we get bent out of shape because of some hot BuzzFeed um, article in which they just have this sizzling headline. Something in the, you know, the Charlotte Observer might have really just like, ooh, that really got my attention. Um, And, you know, we see all these, you know, clickbaity sort of articles and headings and and things of that nature that, um, you know, get us to start thinking emotionally about things um, without thinking about them logically. Now, I'm not saying you can't, I'm not saying you have to be like Dr. Spock from Star Trek and think about things purely in some sort of uh, logical terms, uh, devoid of any emotions, and just the, this 
cold, stoic reasoning. Um, if you think you can think like that, you're deceiving yourself. You are a human being. You are an emotional creature. Um, our passions get stirred, passions for good, passions for bad. And those things we should uh, embrace because I think they'll help take us down further to whatever the truth ultimately is. Because um, things we're, we tend to be apathetic about are things we tend not to think about. Um, or at least too much. So I think having stirred passions is a good thing. But still, even with our stirred passions, our stirred emotions, we need to think with emotion, but we also need to think logically about things. We need to do things, and I know this might be a little like going back to philosophy 101 um, sort of stuff, but we need to think about things in terms of inductive and deductive reasonings. Rather, you know, we're thinking about things because we've seen evidence and then are postulating a theory based off that evidence, or whether we are simply have a theory and are in search of evidence to back up our theory. And we need to recognize when we're doing one versus the other and what bearing that has on how we think about what we're thinking about. Um, so let, let, let us think about things logically in that, those terms. But when also thinking about things logically, we also need to consider some basic logical fallacies about things. Um, you know, Facebook is a great place, for example, to to engage in all sorts of uh, ad hominem attacks, you know, where you simply attack the character of the messenger, you know, to heck with whatever it is they had to say, to heck with, um, you know, the facts, uh, to heck with the logic that they presented. Um, something's wrong with them, so therefore I'm not going to listen to them. So we sit there and think, well, Hillary Clinton said something, so I'm not going to listen to it because, well, you know what a shady... Uh, person she is, right? Or Donald Trump said something, so therefore I must immediately dismiss it because, well, you know what a shady person Donald Trump is. So at the end of the day, though, when it gets right down to it, it doesn't really matter too much whether or not somebody made a claim that they said was true, whether or not it was, if they're shady, um as an individual, the fact still remains the facts, right? Irrespective of whether they are shady or not, or whether they're liberal or conservative or, you know, those sort of things. Uh, so, you know, check up on some basic logical fallacies. We don't need to go ahead and start immediately shouting Hitler every time somebody makes an argument that spooks us, right? 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 I mean, really, right? <laughs> <laughs> we it's it's a it's crazy uh how much things escalate on the internet when you talk to other people about how quickly things go uh to hitler you, you know it's generally it doesn't take too long uh give it enough time what's what's the name of the rule for that let, let me let me think what's what's the name of the rule for that oh yeah that's that's right i, I just i paused this recording by the way i couldn't remember what it was <laughs> uh so you didn't hear the pause. Sorry. Uh, Godwin's Law. Um, Godwin's Law states, um, as the internet adage asserting that, as an I'm sorry, Godwin's Law states that as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis and Hitler approaches one. <laughs> uh, 
Ah, you definitely have seen a lot of that lately, haven't you? Especially with all the coronavirus stuff happening, especially with all the, the racial unrest and, you know, things of that nature going on. We haven't seen any of that anywhere, have we? Right? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, so we need to think about logical fallacies. Um, we also need to think about paradoxes. And if you haven't really thought too much about paradoxes, paradoxes are a pretty cool thing. Maybe it's something you don't think about um, too often, but uh, you should. Paradoxes are two seemingly contradictory things that both appear true. For example, in Christianity, we believe that there is one God, but we believe that one God exists in three persons, also called the doctrine of the Trinity, in which one God exists as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that these three persons are one. And maybe you don't really care for theological analogies. Maybe you prefer something a little more scientific. So let's talk about physics. Well, in the realm of physics, you learn that a light, you know, light, the stuff you see everywhere, or the stuff by which you see everything, light, uh, a beam of light consists of both wave, uh, is consisted of both a wave and individual particles. Um, that's kind of a, a paradox. How can something be both a wave and an individual particle? Um, how can God be three in one? You know, so we, we see all these sort of things, whether it be theologically or scientifically or, you know, all sorts of other elegies, <laughs> um, ologies or whatever you want to call them, um, all sorts of realms of study in which we see these paradoxes. And I've always enjoyed this great quote um, from the late Art Katz who said, it is our ability to endure paradox that makes us saints. You know? That's, I, that's a good quote. It's that our ability to endure paradox that makes us saints. Um, and I think a lot of people have a hard time wrestling with that. Again, because we want the black and white. We want the cheap answer. Um, we want something to be either this or either that. And the idea that something could be both things that seem contradictory at the same time, but individually appear to be true um, when you get down and examine all the evidence. We don't like things like that. They, they make our brains hurt. But again, no wonder we, we live in a world of memes. We live in a world in which we enjoy the shadows flickering on the back of the cave wall. We don't much care for paradox. We don't much care for uh, basic sound reasoning. We don't care for, you know, recognizing logical fallacies. Uh, in fact, the something... The more something makes our brains hurt, the more we want to attack the messenger or throw out some other unrelated thing <laughs> to distract from the argument, because that's basically what all logical fallacies are. They're ultimately uh, distractions from what the, the cold, hard logic of something is. Um, but again, we love our memes. We love our shadows. So to the next point, to help you think less like an idiot... Um, and develop some critical thinking th skills. This seems so basic, but it seems like 
we really need to talk about this more often than we do um, because I don't think we are trained in our minds to recognize it. But you've heard this saying before. I'm not the first to say it. I won't be the last to say it. Correlation does not equal causation. Just because there's a relationship between two objects does not necessarily mean that one caused the other. And sometimes the correlation is pretty strong, but other times the correlation is pretty thin and sketchy at best. For example, and there's a, a, a link uh, on the jimmystable.com episode 62 um, show notes for this. Check it out. There's a link to a chart. I recommend you check out the chart so that this helps make a little bit more sense. But this is uh, a pretty humorous thing that I found. There's this chart that exists out there that shows that between 2006 and 2011, the annual murder rate in the United States dropped almost 14%. And during that same time, according to the same chart, the percentage of people using Internet Explorer as their web browser of choice dropped from 80% of the population to 45% of the population. Now, if you saw those two numbers thrown up on a chart somewhere together simultaneously, you might sit there and think, whoa, there's a relationship between the number of people using Internet Explorer and the murder rate. And you might be able to deduce from this chart that one caused the other. Maybe the murder rate dropped because the number of Internet Explorer users dropped. Or maybe the number of Internet Explorer users dropped because the murder rate dropped. I don't know, right? <laughs> maybe there's some sort of connection, but we show them on the same chart, and that's often how we, we think. We show two statistics that you know span the same period of time and they both seem to be going down or, invert, or inverted or what have you. And we conclude there must be some sort of relationship that one is causing the other. Um, but both is patently absurd. So we must recognize this when we're thinking about things. That correlation does not always equal causation. And how often do we do this? with our relationships, for example. Like, for example, we might sit there and say, well, you know, the reason Johnny got divorced from Sarah is because he was a workaholic um, and his workaholic attitude, um, you know, must have meant that he wasn't spending as much time uh, at home and as a result, uh, he got divorced. So we might say, well, that's the, that's the cause, right? Or maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe, uh, maybe because relationship was actually bad at home, maybe that's why Johnny was working so much at the office. Maybe Sarah wasn't really good for him. <laughs> maybe Sarah was abusive. Maybe Sarah was cheating on him. Maybe Sarah was a bad mother. Who knows, right? One does not necessarily cause the other. But how often in our minds do we make those sort of casual correlations and teach those correlations as if they are indeed the cause? And they may be sometimes. I'm not saying that, you know, spending uh, tons of hours at the office may not necess 
necessarily be the best thing for your marriage, right? You might need to actually make some time for your wife, right? Um, but it's amazing how we connect dots that aren't necessarily always there. Um, and I think you often see this uh, sort of thing in conspiracy theory ideas. Uh, I think Glenn Beck is the most famous uh, these, or Van Jones, or no, I'm sorry, not Van Jones, Glenn Beck, he used to talk about Van Jones a lot, but uh, Alex Jones um, and Infowars and stuff like that. People are always looking for a correlation um, and then saying, hey, that correlation must be the reason uh, this is happening. I think, you know, that's what fuels ultimately a lot of conspiracy theories that we, we take very unrelated ideas um, and we, um, you know, make them have some sort of meaningful relationship together and imply that there's something more than there's actually there. Um, but they forever become linked in our minds and we never divorce them. Um, unlike John and Sarah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, um, next. And this also goes into conspiracy theories too. Point eight, question even your questions, Right? One might ask, for example, there's this, this famous kind of medieval uh, theological problem. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't so much a famous problem as it was something casually referenced by uh, Thomas Aquinas, if you know who Thomas Aquinas is. Uh, basically posed a question that's similar to asking, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Um, and you might sit there and think, well, that's an interesting idea. How many how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? I don't know. That's that's a good question. How big are angels? How how big is the head of a pen? You know, is it is there certain physical qualities or spiritual qualities that enable the angels to morph themselves into ways that allow them to shrink or grow um, or occupy more than one space at the same time? I don't I don't know. What are their metaphysical qualities, and you know how how would that work? And you could get lost in that type of question. And, and people have, I think, over the years engaged in all sorts of silly questions like that. But during such questioning, people get all super serious and, and think really hard about things. But nobody ever bothers to ask, what the heck does that have to do with anything? <laughs> you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Well, who cares, right? You know, and that might sound kind of brutish, like, you know, sarcastic, the type of, the type of argument you might get from an idiot in a bar. <laughs> um, but, you know, sometimes you just have to learn to detach yourself from questions and sit there and think about, like, what kind of question am I even asking here? You know? Let's question your questions. Well, right? Why should we, we be, why should we even entertain how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? What good could possibly come from even trying to answer such a question? We might as well answer how wide is the color yellow, right? You know, just, just weird stuff that doesn't make any sense, but we find ourselves really scratching our heads over at the end of the day, you know? How many angels can dance on the head of the pen? Well, do they even ever think, do angels even dance? <laughs> do angels even dance? And if so, what, what style of dancing, you know? Is it, is it, you know, a salsa dance? Does it require a large square footage of dance floor? 
or is it kind of more like the Carlton where you just, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and, and if so, well, how do I even know angels dance and how do I know what style they dance and what square footage they need to dance? Um, and why are we talking about a pen? Well, don't you do your dancing on the dance floor? Question even your questions, folks. Don't be afraid to sit there and detach yourself and sit there and say, wait a second. Is this question actually an idiotic question? Is this the question an idiot would an ask and try to answer? <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of like the who's on first, what's on second, nobody's on third joke, right? Uh, instead of that being a riddle that uh, somebody like Rain Man uh, would like to try to solve for, for those of you who have seen the movie Rain Man. Um, you know... Instead of trying to solve insolvable things or questions that are just stupid to begin with, something only an idiot would try to answer, right? Um, let's question our questions. Let's ask if it's even a good question to begin with. And uh, let's ask if there's not a better question out there. Like, for example, one that often plagues me um, and one that's been the, the center of so much philosophical, theological debate over the years is questions about free will and predestination. Um, you know, do we have free will? Are we free moral agents able to do whatever so it is that we please? Or has everything been predestined? Is there some sort of determined fate um, that influences uh, all of our decisions or some of our decisions or something in between? Are, is God just a giant puppet master that pulls our strings and makes us do whatever it is God wants us to do? You know, questions like that. Um, and there's been so much debate over the years over such questions and people have gone all to the Bible and pulled out all sorts of passages in which they think speaks to the question of free will or speaks to the question of predestination and, you know, tries to answer those riddles. And, you know, I'm not saying that there's perhaps not some insight that the Bible might be able to provide into such things. There, there might be. However, at the end of the day, I have to sit there and kind of scratch my head and ask, well, you know, if I'm predestined or if I'm, you know, if everything's determined by fate or if I have free will, does it really even matter? Because at the end of the day, no matter what your position is on free will or predestination, I'm going to do what I'm going to do anyway, right? Because I'm going to be the one doing it. Now, you could sit there and think, well, you know, your perspective on that might shape how you process things and yeah, yeah okay, whatever. You know, or might influence the condition of your heart and your relationship to God. Okay, whatever. But again, I don't, I don't, I find such a question just, you know, fundamentally no different than how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. And even though, you know, I might be willing to share my answer from time to time and try to take a side of that argument just as a kind of uh, maybe a theological, intellectual, philosophical exercise, you know, at the end of the day, think it's a stupid question and frankly when I actually examine the scriptures for those of you who are wondering about these things uh, whether Calvinistic Arminian or whatever um, you know I don't I don't really care <laughs> and I don't think God did either and I, it kind of scratches my mind that people you know ever even attempted to answer the question anywhere because I don't remember really seeing anybody in the Bible attempting to even ask God hey God are we all predestined or do we have free will Instead, we sat there and say, well, I see all these things um, that, you know, point to free will or point to predestination. So therefore, we must like, no, 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 no. Well, let's, my opinion, let's not try to answer a question 
that nobody in the Bible, ever in its many, many pages, <laughs> really, in my opinion, ever attempt to really seriously ask God. Um, so yeah, let's do that. Instead, let's make sure we ask questions for the things that matter. Um, and I think that's when you get to, <laughs> you know, this popular video that went around recently, the conspiracy theory video, Plandemic, with Dr. Judy Makovich or Mikovich or however you say her last name, uh, and the doctors in black who, you know, sit there and point at Dr. Fucci and Chinese government and Big Pharma and the medical establishment as, you know, this the coronavirus being this big thing. And, and you know this video that I'm speaking of that went viral a couple weeks ago and now it's practically dead. Um, amazing how that happened, right? Um, but, you know, it, people aren't even talking about it for the most part, except the conspiracy theory people. Um, <laughs> but, you know, all these people who floated this video around and shared it and, and YouTube kept taking it down and that was only proof that uh, the man was out to suppress everything and that validated the claims of everything Judy was saying. Well... You know, I hate to burst your bubble, folks, but it's amazing how many people shared that video and think, said, yes, I think this is true. And nobody even barely dared to ask, well, well, wait a second, Dr. Judy, Dr. Plandemic people, doctors and black people, how can I validate what you're saying is true? How can, what, what reliable third party can I go to, to, what, what data can you give me to, to, to prove what you're claiming in this video about it all being a giant conspiracy of big pharma and Dr. Fucci and the Chinese and Donald Trump and the Russians and big, you know, all these other people, all these thousands and millions of conspirators, you know, what is your actual proof for all of these claims? Cause you're making some pretty wild claims and you're not exactly backing them up. You're just like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me. Trust me. Well, you know, frankly, folks, you know, whatever you might be of the opinion of Dr. Judy, and you can probably tell what I think of Dr. Judy. Um, at the end of the day, I saw a lot of people buying her thought process, sharing her video. I didn't see too many people asking questions. I didn't see, see anybody sharing that video on Facebook and saying, hey, can you help me validate whether what anything this lady is saying is true? And if so, like, can you show me the evidence of that? Yeah, not too many people did that. Instead, they just bought into the sensationalism. Instead, they just brought into the shadows flickering on the back of the cave. They settled for their cheap internet meme, their fortune cookie, because it was easy to digest. And they didn't have to do any heavy lifting because it was all pre-packaged in a nice 30-minute video or 60-minute video or whatever the length of the video was. Uh, instead, they took simplistic arguments from people on Facebook who were all the more than willing to share what they found and found it to be this awesome thing. And they're like, yep, yep. I, I think, you know, I think I believe her. Everything she says is true. But nobody even bothered to question, <laughs> how do we know this is true, Dr. Judy? People failed to have questions about even the most basics of claims about the claims of her video. And as a result, they weren't even able to question the questions that they asked it, you know? So yeah, if you shared that video and said, hey, this must be true, without doing any sort of real legwork and homework and exercise, and you know, I think you got hoodwinked, folks. And maybe what she said was true. I'll let you figure that out. I don't need to come down too hard, and I think there's been plenty of people who have already done that and plenty of people who dispelled it. 
But whatever your opinion of that pandemic Dr. Judy video was, the doctors in black, I didn't see too many people thinking. I didn't see too many people asking questions. I saw a lot of people drawing some uh, very casual correlations and thinking one was the cause of the other, though. You know, and I saw a lot of people gulping down with a big gulp all the fallacies that uh, Dr. G was throwing out there. But it was quite sensational, right? It made for a great BuzzFeed, right? Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Next point, point number nine. Avoid a sectarian and party spirit. Simply put, don't make everything into some Green Bay Packers versus Chicago Bears type of rivalry. Avoid falling into the tribalism. Falling into tribalism of left versus right, Republican versus Democrat, Christian versus Jew versus Muslim versus whoever, Hillary versus Donald, um, Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> Um, you know, all that sort of stuff. Instead of falling into these, these camps, these tribalistic things in which we think we have to show some sort of allegiance to some sort of party, uh, maybe instead we should be individuals who are willing to be uh, homeless when it comes to our party affiliations and our tribes. Um, maybe we should truly just be independent, free-thinking people. And no, not the tribe of independent, free-thinking people. Um, but people who just have a genuine curiosity and hunger and thirst for knowledge, um, people who aren't afraid to ask questions, people who aren't afraid to do a little digging, uh, people who aren't afraid um, to play devil's advocate, um, people who you know are willing to hear and listen to both sides of an argument, or all three sides of an argument, or all four sides of an argument. Let's be those type of people. Let's avoid this sectarianism, this us versus them, Dems versus Republicans, uh, libtards versus whatever uh, the other thing is. <laughs> um, you know, let's not do that, folks. That's such, such ways of thinking just end up clouding our thinking and it enables us, or keeps us rather, it prevents us from being able to see things clearly. I don't know about you, but I want to see the world clearly as possible. I don't want some sort of party loyalty or whatever jersey I'm wearing uh, to influence the way I, I think. I don't want to be the idiot who, you know, sees a penalty as clear as day on the field, but then says, well, because the ref called it against my team, I'm not going to get behind that. I'm going to boo the ref, boo ref, boo. You know, can't you open your eyes, ref? Can't you see how that hurts my team? <laughs> you know, we do it in sports. We do it with political philosophies. We do it with religious theologies. We do it all, folks. Let's avoid that sectarianism. Because it it makes us into the biggest idiots of all. I, I can't almost stand it anymore. It that, that The sectarianism, the tribalism that exists out there, the... The, the rank and file folks who just fall in line and think whatever the group is thinking because that's who they've already sworn their allegiance to. That sort of group thinking that forms as a result. They're drinking the Kool-Aid in big gulps, folks. Uh, and they're not afraid to do it because they're afraid to have their own identity. They're afraid to be out there on their own, if necessary, to find out the truth. 
Um, instead, they prefer the comfort of the cave. They prefer the comfort of the tribe. Um, and most people, that's a really hard hurdle, folks, to overcome. I'm not going to lie. I know I've been captivated by you for years, and I'm not going to lie. I'm still kind of biased towards one political tribe, one religious tribe versus another, and all sorts of other tribes when it comes to all sorts of different ologies out there. Uh, I have my biases and things that I'm aware of that make me say, well, you know, I'm not identifying with that group anymore, but uh, I kind of still like some of the things they say. Uh, and I'm probably going to be cheerleading for them more often than not. But, um, you know, let's avoid that, though. Uh, that's, that's a hard drug to get off of. Um, and I pray if you're on that drug, and you know if you are, you know if you are. If you can't see Hillary Clinton without thinking Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> and how he hung himself or didn't hung himself or, you know, if you can't see Donald Trump without thinking certain things, like, come on, folks, get over it. Get over it. Stop drinking the Kool-Aid. Stop being mesmerized um, by all these people who are doing nothing more than pull your strings at the end of the day who have zero interest in you ever knowing the truth uh, but have plenty of interest in getting you to buy into their brand loyalty um, to get you part of their cult. Um, but promise me something, folks. If you're going to drink the Kool-Aid, uh, if you're going to join the cult, uh, make sure at least you get some a pretty cool t-shirt out of the deal because, you know, what's the point of joining a cult if you don't get some cool clothing, right? <laughs> uh, I digress. So last and finally, point 10. And this is big. This is big. I'm glad I'm ending on this. Are you glad I'm ending on this? You probably are, right? Uh, if you're still listening. Point number 10. Be willing to admit when you don't know or when you don't understand something. You don't have to pretend to know or understand something, folks. You don't have to just get along with folks just because you don't want to be left out of the conversation or whatever. You know, you can interrupt and say, wait a second, I don't understand. Could you explain that to me? I don't know what that word means. You know how often we do that. We think we know what a word means, uh, but we don't, which is actually funny. It goes back to that, um, that uh, thing I mentioned at the beginning about the uh, Dunning and Kruger effect where uh, Dunning and Kruger in their study, they gave people um, this essay full of a bunch of words that they made up. And then they asked people to explain what that essay meant. And a lot of people pretended to try to know what all those words meant. But they were just garbly gook. They were just babble at the end of the day. Um, and But people, you know, especially people who felt very confident in their lack of knowledge, um, you know, were very adamant about their perspective on the paper that they just read, even though they didn't understand the half of it because half the words were made up. But they thought they could infer the meaning and they didn't want to appear dumb. Um, so, you know, be willing to admit when you don't know something. Be willing to raise your hand and say, I don't understand. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, be even so bold as to excuse yourself from the tyranny of having to form an opinion on every single thing. God, I need a lot of help in that. Um, you know, I come from a long line of opinionated people. <laughs> uh, there's nothing that we loved more growing up than a, a good, uh, you know, good conversation over breakfast on a Saturday morning. Uh, my wife said, uh, when she met my family for the first time, when I took her up to see my parents, when we were dating, um, we were having breakfast, 
uh, that Saturday morning. And my wife's like, I didn't know breakfast could be a three-hour ordeal. Because <laughs> she didn't know she was going to sit down for breakfast. And that breakfast also included getting your full of very lengthy, passionate conversations. Um, so, I come from a long line of opinionated people. People who aren't afraid to give their opinion on anything and everything, even things they don't know anything about. I've been that person, folks. I admit it. Um, but you know, the older I get, the more I live, the more I grow in my faith, um, the more I realize that, you know, I don't have to respond to every single thing that's out there on Facebook. I don't have to respond to every controversy that's out there on Twitter. There are some things it's okay if I don't have any opinion on at it all, because this world is full of so much stuff that we can't possibly hope to take it all in. We can't possibly hope to know anything and everything about everything. This world is huge. This world is so huge, and we simply don't have the time or capacity or resources to process everything and then look into every claim that there is out there to be investigated. It's okay if something controversial happens in the news and I just shrug my shoulders and keep on reading something that maybe actually interests me and maybe something that I actually have uh, a working knowledge of and something that I could, you know, stand to increase my knowledge in. Maybe I can, instead of trying to have an opinion on everything, um, you know, I can turn off Facebook and Twitter and actually say, hey, let me actually pick up this book over here, you know, this book where somebody gives a well-reasoned, long-articulate thought about what they believe and why they believe it. And maybe I'm going to sit there and think and digest what they thought and consider it in my own perspective on things. Maybe I'll do something crazy like that, right? Um, so we don't, we don't have time to process everything. We shouldn't even attempt to. And, you know, more often than not, we should find ourselves in a place where just like, no, I'm not going to comment on the controversy of today. I'm not even going to bother reading the, the clickbaity headline um, that's going to try to induce me to comment on something and share it with others, especially when I don't even really know this thing, what it is. But, it, you know, it just really gets my blood boiling and I don't understand why my blood is boiling. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe I have the corona. I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, you know, at the end of the day, when it gets down to it, I love this point with this, this, this right here. If I'm willing to admit that I don't know something and that there's no time for me to understand something or like, I'm going to ask questions about the things that I need to ask questions about and focus on the things that I need to focus on. At the end of the day, what I'm getting at here is that sometimes it's okay to be an idiot. It's okay to be an idiot and not understand <laughs> and to be a little dense you know focus on the things that you focus on the things that have meaning for you for meaning for the people around you things that impact your ability to make a difference in this world and pour yourself into the lives of others um and be willing to say you know there's a good deal out there and i wish i had time to know it all but i don't so i'm not even going to pretend to I'm just going to be an idiot. I'm just going to be an ignoramus on this topic. And if the world goes to hell in a handbasket because I didn't form an opinion on it, well, I'm sorry. But I'm not going to allow myself to be subject to such tyranny. Um, my mind simply can't handle it.
and uh, neither can yours. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey at jimmystable.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you've learned to stop thinking like an idiot and uh, learn some valuable lessons and critical thinking. Again, Jimmy Humphrey at jimmystable.com uh, is my email address. Reach out to me. Love to hear from you. Uh, share this on Facebook. Share this on Twitter. Subscribe however you listen to this podcast, either at jimmystable.com or Apple Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and all the other places that podcasts are found. Again, Jimmy Humphrey, where I'm having conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Take care, everybody. God bless, and look forward to seeing you next week. Air smudge.